I was reading this past week of changes uh, that are being made uh, to the worship service of a particular congregation in the United States. So the congregation in question was kind of doing away with uh, the more traditional ideas and forms of worship, and they were embracing uh, some new and innovative ideas. For instance, uh, from now on, every person entering the church sanctuary area is to be given a box of popcorn to enjoy during the worship service. And a new VIP area is to be created in the sanctuary area, complete with uh, sofas and fridges that are stocked with fizzy drinks. Well, that's, of course, an extreme example, isn't it? But it's surely symptomatic of a wider change that's taking place within uh, the contemporary church in the 21st century, isn't it? Uh, in, a, in an attempt to reach and connect with society, what's happening in many churches is that the idea of worship and how we worship is changing, is being altered, it is being uh, moved. They're being changed to try and appear more user-friendly. Now, the question that I want us to consider tonight from Scripture is whether that's okay. Like, who is the focus when we come here in the morning at 11 o'clock or where, when we come here at half past six? Is it you? And what you want in worship? Is it me? What I want? Is it, is it the outsider? Is it the person who's lost? Or is the focus of our worship service God? And if it is, if so, how is it that Almighty God wants us to worship Him? These are some of the questions that, God willing, we will see answered in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So we turn there with me. Would you have it open in front of you? Have Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7 there. And uh, as we did this morning, we will endeavor by uh, the Holy Spirit to look at three uh, headings. The first of which is a lot simpler than the headings this morning. And it's simply our hearts in worship. Our hearts in worship. Okay, now... I want you to see that what you're dealing with tonight in Ecclesiastes is something new. Um, The first four chapters of this book, they form the first block of material. And when we're entering into chapter 5, we are entering something different, something new. We'll see in the coming weeks. And you see, I hope, that it begins with a warning for you and for me tonight. Do you see the warning in verse 1? Solomon says this. He says, oh, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So there's a warning. What does it mean? Well, if you and I know anything at all about the Old Testament temple, if we know anything about the Old Testament temple, we know that everything about the temple. Everything spoke to the holiness of God. 
Isn't that right? From the personnel of the temple to the very architecture of the temple to the interior design of the temple, everything in the temple. It screamed to the people of God, do not approach your God lightly in worship. Didn't it? And isn't that what is being reinforced by Solomon in verse 1? You see what he's saying? He's saying, oh, come on. You watch your step here. You guard your step you be very careful when you come to worship this God. That's fine. That's okay. We get that. We get the idea. The problem we are faced with is how do we do that? Like tonight at London City Presbyterian Church and next Sunday morning, how can we be careful in worshiping God? Well, I'll tell you what. I, 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 do, uh, I want to be really ambitious here. Uh, under this first heading, I just want to throw four principles about our worship to you. Okay? So it's ambitious, but, but let's do this. Four principles about how we worship God from this portion of Scripture. You ready for them? First, we see here that we must worship sincerely. Now, carry on with me in verse 1. Carry on and have a look. Do you see what he does? Solomon warns against sacrificing like fools. Sacrificing. So he's, do, you, do you see what he's saying there? Do you see what he's speaking against? He is cautioning against half-heartedness in worship. So it's the idea that Solomon is seeing in worship where people are going to the temple to worship God and they're not really engaged in this at all. So they go to worship God. They'll go through the sacrificial system but their hearts are not really in it. They're there, they're present, but they're not really thinking this through before God. And then they head off home. You see it? Now, what I find most interesting is how Solomon speaks about people like that. Now, first of all, he calls them fools. But what does he then say? He then says, they do not even know that they are doing wrong. And I tell this, I shake at that idea. You see what, what we're being told there? It's the very idea that we can come along to church and if we do not come along to church wholeheartedly and if we do not come into the presence of God to worship him, what is that worship to God? It's sinful that a half-hearted, unengaged type of worship that it actually causes offense to our God. Do you not shake with me? Second principle we see here is that worship should be restrained. Now, if you were a part of the congregation um, a couple of years ago, it might not even be as long ago as that, but you remember that we invited Donald McLeod to come down to LCPC and speak to us. I should give him his proper title, but it's too long. Uh, Principal Emeritus Reverend Dr. Donald McLeod or something along those lines. We invited Donald McLeod to come and speak to us about Reformed Theology. So you remember that, hopefully. Well, before he came out to speak, I was with Donald in the vestry. And we were praying. And I remember distinctly how he prayed. He prayed something like this. He said, Lord God, would you forgive us for our many words? And I thought that was a very odd thing, especially for a principal of a theological college to pray. 
especially as he was coming out to speak. He proceeded to speak for about 70 minutes as well. But he did pray, Lord, would you forgive us for our many words? I did think that's odd. But isn't that exactly what Solomon is saying here about our worship? Now look at verse 2. He says, don't be quick with your mouth when you worship God. Now, when you're worshipping God, do not be hasty to utter anything before him. So do you see the idea? When we pray, when we worship God, the idea is not for us to throw out phrase after phrase after phrase. Not sort of pious platitude to God after pious platitude. We're actually to take this very, very seriously. What we say in worship, we're to be restrained. And, and, and I think that is that there is why reform worship is the way that it is. Uh, somebody in the congregation asked me very recently, they said, Andy, why do we not have a moment, why do we not have a time in a worship service where it's open for anyone to come up and they can just pray for as long as they want? Why don't we do it like that? Other churches do, other parts of the world do. Why do we not have this time where just anyone can come up free for all and come up and they can pray? Why do we not do it? Because our God is a thrice holy God. We have to take this very, very seriously. We've got to be, in some senses, cautious in worship, restrained in worship, prepared even as we worship him. So sincere and restrained, we also see, though, that worship means more than attending church. (laughs) And I'm sure instantly you see what I mean by that, do you? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but don't we sometimes think like this? We think, well, my spiritual life is a bit of a mess, but at least I went to church on Sunday morning. So that's pacifying God. We think like that. Or do we not sometimes think like this? Well, okay, things are not great, but I went to church twice because I was there in the morning and I was there at night. So surely, if nothing else, God is pleased with me. Listen to me. You do not please God by merely coming to church twice on a Sunday. Can I say it again? You do not please God by merely attending church twice on a Sunday. Because I ask you this. Where are these people that Solomon is rebuking in this portion of Scripture? Where are they? Where have they been? They've been to the temple. They've gone to worship God. And yet, even having done that, Solomon is rebuking them for their sin. Do you see it? You do not. We do not merely please God by showing up in a building a couple of times a day. No. What does he want from us in worship? How does God want us to worship him? Do you see it? God tells you in verse 1. He says we're to listen. That's what God wants. He wants his people to come in here, prayed up, ready, cautious, yes, but ready to listen to what he has to say to them in his word. And then the last of these four principles is this, that worship must be fixed on the transcendence of God. And and, and let me ask you a question here. Why wrong? We get worship wrong all the time, don't we? 
I mean, surely you probably agree with that, don't you? Even the way that we've approached worshipping God tonight. Is it with due reverence and care even tonight? Why do we get this wrong all the time? Is it not this? That we are so often forgetting who God is. We forget who God is, how great God is. We forget how little and meaningless we are. We forget where God is. Isn't that it? Isn't that part of the problem? And isn't that what Solomon reminds us of in verse 2? See, look at this. Why are we to engage properly, wholeheartedly in worship? Verse 2, look at the answer. Because our God is in heaven and we are on earth. Do you see it? Why do we worship like that? Why, why must we be engaged? Because God is a transcendent deity and he's different to us entirely. Isn't that what Paul Shepherd brought out beautifully last week, isn't it? The fact that God stands above and separate to all of the stars and the galaxies, the universe. We have this great, great God. And you see it, don't you? It's that otherness of God. It's the transcendent splendor of God that should drive our worship tonight. Friends, we, you and I, even this evening, should guard our steps as we approach God in worship. Why? Why? Because he is a holy, holy, holy God. So we see a heart in worship. Second thing that we see here is our promises in worship, our promises in worship. Okay, let me ask you to do this with me. Would you look at the second section here? And would you consider what Solomon's main concern is? If you look at verse 4, you'll maybe see what happens. He's been talking about our heart and our attitude in worship what, what then brings his main concern in verse 4? Do you see? He turns to consider vows and oaths. So if I were to ask you just now uh, to, <coughs> to name an oath or a vow that we've got in the Bible... Where would you go for that? A vow, an oath, a promise made to God in the Bible. What would you, what would you go for? Some of you might go for Hannah, 1 Samuel, chapter 1. Do you remember that? That she vows to God that if God will only give her a son, that she promises to give the son to temple service. Or maybe you would go for Jonah. Do you remember that Jonah enters into this vow in the belly of the fish? Maybe if you're really on the ball tonight and you had your coffee this afternoon, uh, maybe you would go for the Nazarite vow in Numbers, where men vow to God that they would not cut their hair and would not drink any wine in return for blessing and favor of God. Okay? We could have lots of other vows from Scripture, Here's the problem with that. I don't think that that is what Solomon's talking about here at all. You see, he here, the framework, the theme, is the corporate worship 
of God. Isn't it? The theme, the temple worship of God. And so what he's actually thinking about here and speaking to us about are vows, are oaths taken as part of temple worship, as part of a worship service. So can I ask you what you think about that? Do you sort of wipe your brow and say, few is therefore irrelevant to us? You know, we don't have a section of this service tonight where we're all going to get up and we're all going to sort of kneel and take a vow or a promise before God. You know, we, you know you're thinking that. We, this is not relevant if it's vows as part of temple worship. Is that what we're thinking? Well, as I look around the church tonight, I'd say pretty safe that nearly every one of us has taken part in a vow or an oath as part of a worship service before God. Let me give you a few examples. What about infant baptism? What happens when we baptize Mary Cordelia? Brad and Kathy come to the front as their parents. They stand before the congregation. They vow to raise the child in a certain way. Is that not right? Ah, but what else happens? I ask you, also to stand. Why? Not just as witnesses to, but you are standing pledging your involvement in the spiritual nurturing of that little girl. Do you see it? That's a vow that you have taken as part of a worship service before Almighty God. Give, give you another one. <laughs> Not an easy one. What about your marriage, some of you? What's happening in a wedding ceremony? You're not just vowing to your partner. What are you doing at your wedding? What are you doing? It's part of a worship service. You are vowing before almighty, eternal God. Vowing to him that you will cherish, care for, love your spouse. We do this. I'll give you a last one. Another not easy one. What about the office bearers of this church? Isn't it the same? Isn't this relevant? All of the deacons and all of the elders in this congregation have stood before you, but they have stood before God and promised, vowed this, to faithfully, diligently, and cheerfully to discharge all the duties of their office. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Like we read this about vows and we think Old Testament worship and it's not relevant to us. And then we actually realize, no, wait a minute, we've done this. You and I, we've been, we've done this. And so surely we have to pay attention to what Solomon says about the vows. So what does he say? Come on, what does he say? He says, one, we are not to enter into vows lightly. Look at verse five. Is it not implied in verse five? Look at that. He says to you, it's better for us not to vow than to make a vow and break it. That anything that requires a vow in worship has to be wrestled with. It has to be prayed over. Why? Because it's before God. I mean, it couldn't be more serious. Then he says, he warns of punishment for breaking vows. God will be angry. That if we break promises, he destroys the work of our hands. And then the third thing he says, quite simply, 
He encourages us to fulfill our vows. So here we go. This is where it's all going to this question. And I ask you this just now tonight. As you consider the vows that you have taken before God, are you doing all you can in the power of the Holy Spirit to keep those vows? Husbands in here. Wives in here. Are you doing all you can to prayerfully keep the vows, the wedding vows that you have made before Almighty God, those vows to cherish and care for and love your spouse? Office bearers of this church? Are we doing all that we can prayerfully to fulfill the vows that we've taken before God to to discharge the duties of our office? Members of this church? Are we doing all we can prayerfully to nourish, build up, shepherd the little children of this congregation? Are we? Those are not easy questions, are they? But you see what's happening? Solomon is saying to us, God is saying to us, we must take worship seriously. But we must also take the promises that we have made before God, we must also take those most seriously indeed. So our hearts in worship, our promises in worship, and then the third and the final thing this evening, we also see our access to, or our access in worship. One of the jobs or the tasks that a minister has in sermon preparation, I think, is to address and wrestle with the objections that people might have with a particular portion of Scripture. And maybe you see that there is an obvious objection that people might have to this portion of Scripture, but also to what I have said thus far. An obvious objection. Do you see what it is? Surely somebody could say, but Andy, this is Old Testament worship. And things have changed. Christ has come. We live in the last days. We live in a New Testament age. Things have changed. There is now a new way of worshipping God. You see the objection that now there can be an intimacy and a familiarity with God. That this is redundant in the New Testament age. You see the objection or not? You see it? Let me answer that uh, question in two ways. Negatively first, then positively. Negatively, no. (laughs) Some things have not changed Like, take that idea of the restraint in our language and our speech before God. Are we really going to say that because Christ has come and because we are in a New Testament age, we can just say whatever we want? That we can be liberal with our speech, we can say anything we desire before God, Christ has come. Worship's different. Are we saying that? Let me remind you of what it was that our Lord Jesus Christ himself commanded of his church. What did he say to us, to you, to me? When you pray, 
when you worship, what are we not to do? Do not keep on babbling on like the pagans do. You see, restraint is, is still present here. Or what about our very hearts in worship? Are we really saying this, friends, that because Christ has come, because we live in a New Testament age, we live in the last days, that we can just be chilled out with God? That it's okay for a worship service just to be so relaxed, just to be nonchalant with God? Is that okay? We really saying that? Well, if you are, let me ask you one question. What was the primary characteristic of the New Testament church in Scripture? Like if you and I were to go back to right after Pentecost, you know that awesome moment when the church is exploding through the Middle East and all these people are being saved in the early church, this momentous moment. What was the number one, the primary characteristic of that church? I'll read it to you. To prove that I'm not making it up. Listen, the primary characteristic, Acts 9.31, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, it had, listen how amazing it sounds. The church had peace, it grew in numbers, and it was built up. How? Ready for this? New Testament church had built, it was built up all in the of the Lord. It's not remarkable. The primary, the number one characteristic of the early church was this reverence, this, this awe, this fear of the God that they were worshipping. Do you see it? Christ has come. We live in a New Testament age, but that does not do away with the necessary reverence that you must have, that we should corporately have before our awesome God. But I say two answers. So no, some things don't change. But certainly, hallelujah, some things do change. They have changed. See, I ask you, what's the basis for everything that Solomon says here in, in Ecclesiastes 5? What, what's the foundation? What's the bottom line? Why do, why does he say that we've got to worship God like that? Do you remember? What did he say? He said we worship God like this because God is in heaven and man is on earth but what is it that we're about to celebrate at Christmas yeah what is it we celebrate we celebrate the fact that in Jesus Christ what, what do we see what do we know veiled in flesh the Godhead see did you see it you see what's happened the God of heaven what has he done he has become a man of earth and you see, don't you, what that means for how we worship him, do you? Like tonight, I'm not going to cut up a cow. You know, tonight we do not make animal sacrifices. Why not? Because Christ has come. And what has he done? Atoning blood has been spilt on the ground at Calvary. Things have utterly changed. He has come to earth. He has made that once and for all sacrifice. And what does that mean for where we worship God? You see it? Tonight, spiritually, where are we? We're united to Christ, yes, but where are we? Do you see what Christ has done? He's passed through the heavens. 
He has entered the heavenly temple in his atoning work, hasn't he? Do you see what he's done? He has guarded his feet in perfect righteousness. And he has passed through the architecture of the temple and the design, the interior design, the fabric of the temple, all declaring the glory of God. And where has he taken us? Where are we tonight? Do you see? We tonight are not even in here. Spiritually, we this evening are in the most holy place. We are in the holy of holies. Christ has taken us in there. And you see what it means for our worship tonight, don't you, friends? Do you see what it means? Yes, we must have all reverence before this God. But in Christ this evening, we can now approach the throne Grace with confidence. Isn't that a marvelous thought? That this transcendent God, the one who is separate to us in the person of his son, what has he done? He's provided a way for you and I to worship him, yes, with intimacy and familiarity and with boldness. Friends, I say this to you tonight. Let us ensure that this is what we do. Let us ensure that with all of our hearts and all that we are, that we worship our God. Let's pray.